DJ Simulationistas, sup, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. DJ Simulationistas, sup? You're here with Janice Pelaganis. And Dan Raymer. Sup, Janice. And our very, very special guest, Jen Arnold. <laughs> so, Jen. Hey, I'm... sup, Jen. Jen? Hey, sup. <laughs> so glad to be here with you. So, let me give them a little background sure. before we get started. Oh, everybody knows her. I know everybody knows her. I don't <laughs> oh, really no, go need ahead. To, yeah, to you do. Yeah, it's you a little know. infamous. Yes, yeah. you do. You know what? Everybody knows her, but they don't know everything about her professionally, so I'm going to introduce that. Go for it. Okay, so Jennifer Arnold is currently an attending neonatologist and medical director of the Simulation Center at Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. She is an experienced neonatologist, medical educator, healthcare advocate, and simulation researcher with a passion for delivering high-quality patient care through innovation, technology, and effective debriefing. A lot of which we've been discussing this week. So yeah, a lot of fun doing that. So Jen speaks nationally, internationally. She and her husband Bill and their beautiful children Will and Zoe are featured on TLC's docudrama The Little Couple, which follows their personal and professional lives and um, is now you're on the what season now? We just wrapped season ten. Oh, so you're going into 11. Yep. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> Double digits. Congratulations. And Thanks. Uh, so, Jen, I just have to ask you that when I've been with you, people come up to you all the time and want to take a selfie. And <laughs> yes. I don't understand why they don't want to take a selfie with me, but they want to take a selfie with you. And you're so nice about it. How do you generate the niceness oh. to not say, oh, not another one? <laughs> well, sometimes in my head, I might be thinking that. <laughs> I think I just try to be super friendly because I know that there are fans and you know, I don't want to be that person that, you know, they go back home and say, oh, that Jen Arnold, boy, she's a B-I-T-C-H. No, but I appreciate everybody who's really nice. And honestly, it's easier because so far, we only get good comments, so I can't complain. Like, if everyone was coming up to me and, like, saying, oh, your show is horrible, well, then I probably wouldn't be so nice <laughs> back. Wait, Jen, you have to tell Dan the story about the seven-year-old all the Aww. time. When I met the seven-year-old? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So that's how the whole show thing, in some respects, kind of began, or at least how I think it helped Bill and I to see the value of saying yes to doing the show, was I was shopping in Bed Bath & Beyond in Long Island. Now, this is quite a while ago, I guess ten over 10 years ago. A little girl came up to me, and she said, oh, my goodness, you're a little person like little people, big world. And for me, that was just such an amazing statement to hear because most times when kids or strangers come up to me who have maybe never met a little person or don't are familiar with little people, they'll kind of stare, point, and probably call you a midget, which is a really derogatory term if you're a little person. And so it's like the M word, you know, we, we, we call it the M word and we try to, right. you know, get rid of the M word. I, I figured out that that little girl had learned 
from watching another show that had been on for about three or four months, I think, at that time, about another family who were little people. You know, she learned proper terminology and just a, a nicer way of understanding little awesome. people. So that was a big moment for me. I'll never forget that. And I, I thought, okay, story. maybe we should do this, <laughs> this crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just have to tell you this, Stan, because I'm not sure if you're aware, but she has been on television programs, including Oprah, the Today Show, GMA, Dr. Oz, The Doctors, Wendy Williams, Anderson Cooper, and CNN. So how lucky do you feel right now? Because I feel really lucky. Are you suggesting lucky. I haven't been on any of those? <laughs> so, oh, tonight, on that. <laughs> yeah, when we go out to dinner tonight, if anybody asks to take a picture, you have to say, I think Steve Martin over there would be. <laughs> yes, so doing that tonight. <laughs> I love it. I Listeners, love it. Dan Raymer looks like Steve Martin. He does, <laughs> totally, absolutely. I have signed autographs in the airport. No way. For people who have stopped me. So we have something in common, Jen. People have stopped me and said, oh, can I get your autograph? And I go, sure. And I signed Dan Raymer. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, when they get home, they're like, wait. What? <laughs> no, I'm sure they're convinced it says Steve Martin. <laughs> it's just a scribble anyways. Oh, oh yes. that's awesome. Yes, yes. Uh, do you think we should talk about work? I think we, I I think we have this to. This is much more fun. So we're sitting here in this very nice simulation center, but I have to say that there's a new simulation center that yeah. you're building, and you're excited about that, yeah. and we haven't seen it yet because mm-hmm. it's under construction. Yep. I understand we get to Friday. put a hard hat on Friday yep. and go take a tour. So tell us about your vision. Well, yeah, no, I'm so excited. We are building a whole new 10,000 square foot sim center that's going to be here at the hospital. And, you know, I got to be involved in the design. So we got to sort of help mold it. Uh, we're going to have a lot of different simulation theaters or rooms, acute care, ER, OR, NICU, we have a procedure lab, classroom, debriefing spaces, controlled rooms, like it's just kind of neat to have the opportunity to have some input and to be able to create a space that I hope will meet the needs of the hospital to improve patient safety, uh, support patient family-centered care. We're going to have a mock home environment uh, for training our parents and home caregivers or potentially EMS too because it's not going to be like a hospital setting. And, And the other thing that I hope to do with it is to really, you know, improve the education where simulation makes sense. So I love that you're going to create this home environment because I think that's that's just neat. I think it'd be really cool to talk about that to see if any of our listeners would want to take that idea and also develop something like that. So I would love to talk more about the patient and family simulations you're thinking about. Yeah, no, I've gotten interested in that. It kind of all started about six years ago when one of our fellows in the neonatal intensive care unit came up to me and she said, I need to do a quality and patient safety project, and I'd love to try it in sim. And, you know, I said, well, you know, quality and safety improving directly, improving safety or outcomes for patients. I I had sort of thought about this idea, like maybe we need to be training some of our high-risk babies going home, particularly as an attending. You know, we had checklists, and we knew that the different nursing staff were doing bedside education, but, you know, I had a couple high-risk patients. I was like, are we sure they're ready? Like, I feel like I need to see them do this. Or, you know what I mean? You just didn't have a lot of confidence, and as the attending, you're like, I don't want to go home and have a problem, you know, so I just, yeah. and a lot of families would tell us how nervous they were, so, you know, putting all that together, I brainstormed with our, our fellow, and we decided, let's try something new, let's try developing a simulation training to help them be better prepared for discharge, but for parents, for the caregivers who, you know, aren't healthcare providers, 
And so we decided to focus on the most high-risk population that we knew we had, and that's our babies going home with a tracheostomy mm. on a ventilator. Oh, yeah, that's tough. Because those babies, you know, they can they go home with a lot of mechanical support, a lot of technology, a lot of needs. It's, their parents become kind of ICU providers, really, at home. And, you know, where we were at at the time, you know, home health care providers, while they're great to have, and most of these kids get some home health care support, it may not be 24-7. And if one calls out sick or there's flooding, which happens a lot in Houston where I was at, you know, they, there's no backup plan. And so really parents have to be prepared to handle anything. So we uh, did some research in the literature in terms of, like, what are the most high-risk situations that these kids face when they go home. We interviewed some of our parents who had already had kids at home and what were some of the things that they wish they were trained on and sort of did our needs assessment. And then we created four cases. And then we developed them and piloted a research project. So that's oh, how it began. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that's so cool, Jen. Did you simulate the simulation? I would think that having an actor family deal with the staff first to educate them and how to educate a real family would oh. be a cool thing. Yeah. It's like a play within a play. Oh, Have I you done that? No, but I Not love yet. that idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do that next. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would wow. be that would be interesting. To train us. Yes. Because yeah, and that's one of the things I hear. We need right. more training in this too. Right. And how to train them on how to train the families. <laughs> right. So did your research study extend to collecting any data and how well that worked? We did. We looked at a couple of different outcomes. We had, you know, self-efficacy and, and a survey of the family's uh, satisfaction with the curriculum. But we also looked at a six-week follow-up survey, and we asked them if they had had any of the emergencies that we trained them on, or did they have to use the emergency skills at home? And yeah, 80% had one of the emergencies after they went home that we had trained them on. So Really? Yeah, which was, I mean, that was the scariest part of the outcomes that we had well, to that's imagine. Well, that's a motivating part. Yeah. I mean, all the more reason. To train them, because yeah. they had a tube blockage or had to do CPR or they had an accidental decannulation. And so that, to me, I thought, okay, so I guess we're doing the right thing, but you know, scary. So going on in your, in line with your idea be cool to have the family help develop the cases, the yep. simulations that are going to, the faculty need to run through. To be the able to the families it. who've Who, gone the through the experience, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're envisioning what it would be like in their home might not be the accurate. No, exactly. Yeah, like how things pop out and like what actually, how did the baby present? I yep. Mean, so yeah. So yeah. that's, that is exactly what I find the biggest challenge when we do these trainings is like, how do we recreate the situation for that family? Like the vital signs of where their child's at, the signs and symptoms of when their child's in distress. And they may never have experienced one of those emergencies yet either. Mm-hmm. And then like, who's the caregiver composition and what does the room setup look like? And, yeah. you know, how's their bed related to them, you know, their, their ventilator and their suction machine and, you know, right. all of that is right. so variable. Wouldn't it be so cool in the future if you had patients bring in a photograph or some sort of video video of their environment and then you could quickly recreate that and then do the simulation in their or maybe we could go there you could you could you could insight do it you could do it in or yes. you could do a 3d printing of yes. their environment now you're talking <laughs> They say you print houses now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not a room, at least? <laughs> I, I would think that perhaps it's ripe to do a controlled study 
because I wonder in places or even your own place before you did this training, if there's really a difference. You know, is the bedside verbal education actually enough? And if 80% of them are having an incident and the outcomes are poor, that would really, really be earth-shattering. Well, in our pilot study, too, we did look at readmission rates, death, and uh, we actually followed them up for over six months for those patient care outcomes. Again, pilot data, only 10 patients were in our pilot, yeah. so it's not. I can't make any conclusions, but we did see compared to our, ret- we did a retrospective study for 18 months of the population, and we saw a decrease in readmissions for an airway emergency, because that's what we ended up focusing the the program on, you know, no, couldn't tell any difference in, in mortality because too small, but definitely a, a decrease in readmissions within the first month after discharge for an airway emergency. Uh-huh. And this is published? No, we're writing it up now. Where, and where, should, <laughs> I where should people look out for it? Which journal? Uh, Do you know? So yeah. we're targeting Society for Simulation Healthcare. Okay, very cool. Unless you okay. have any other recommendations, we're still working, I, writing it I up. would never recommend any other journal <laughs> since I'm on the editorial <laughs> board. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> So maybe we have an in. Okay, good. No, actually, my board seat doesn't give anybody an in. I know. I'm kidding. That'd be cool, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the reason this is so dear to my heart is because I did a master's thesis on studying the difference in nursing in the Philippines, the difference in nursing in the United States. And a lot of what I found was that they activate the family in the Philippines mm-hmm. to actually engage in care in the hospital setting okay. before they go home. So the family's prepared to take care of that uh, patient yep. as they go home. They know medications. They're the ones. And with the nursing shortages there, it actually helps because you know many nurses here get so burnt out even just by families asking for blankets and water and all this stuff, but they show the family where everything is. That's and fantastic. And the family actually does it. So have you, in your research around this, what is the difference in cultures? Have you studied that? And, you know, was, mm. or has it been specifically around the American healthcare system? It's a great question. I, I mean, for me, the work that I've done has been really focused on the American system because we don't seem to encourage that in our daily work terms of getting the parents more involved ironically the things that you're saying remind me of when I was a kid in the hospital Uh because I remember my mom they would tell her this is where you get that and that I mean I would go to my mom first before I went to the nurse when I needed help she knew where to go in the hospital yeah most things I mean maybe not medicines right or you know managing my IV uh but you know bedpan, bathroom, you know, you know, food, yeah. drink, you know, the, the, the basics of daily living. Like, I depended on my mom, not, not so, the nursing staff. I, mean, I so. love what you're doing because I think it could change healthcare and involve family more also in the hospital great. setting, not just, you know, these high-risk technology. I think, I think you'll have more of an, an impact in changing healthcare. And I, I think that would be good. Yeah. So I have an Australian friend who's practiced in uh, uh, practiced intensive care in Papua New Guinea. Oh wow! And he said when he went there, he discovered that the families are so intimately involved in the care they don't own any ventilators, and so ICU patients get ventilated by hand by their families. 
Wow. And so the, they'll yeah. have a large family, and they take turns squeezing the bag. Wow. And that's, I, I, I thought, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the difference between the high, you know, high acuity, high resourced institutions that we all uh, work in, and down to practically zero. Yeah. But the involvement of the family has got to make the experience. A, a much better one. I would think so. Sitting and outside. And safer the, once, you know, the patient's not going to be in the hospital forever. No. Well, I guess you never know that, but most hopefully, patients Hopefully not, yes. They're going to go home eventually, and people need to know how to take care of them. And, and working in the Absolutely. emergency department, patients always come back because the family are so uncomfortable. Yes. When the patient goes home. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a complex problem because, you know, there's so many families with so many dynamics, parents going back to work. You know, I know, in our, for example, in the NICU, some of our babies are there for nine months, a year or more. And so, you know, parents are going back to work, and so they're not always able to be there. But but I think if we could promote, like, with allowing them to stay at the bedside, like having a place for them to sleep, then they uh-huh. could be more involved than I think traditionally they sh- they are currently. So I think if we could change that dynamic so that we provide the opportunity for the parents to also be more involved, then we could get there. Is there any there. Um, is there any telemedicine involved in these situations? Because it seems to me, yeah. you know, there's only a certain point you can go to where the parent says, this is beyond me, I need the doctor, I need the nurse, and... and the ability to just connect and say, no, no, that's okay, or pull that and push that and uh, things will be okay, that would clinch the deal and make it much more practical for families to, to, to so do so. It's funny, I've been hearing and reading more about certain disease states, more in the teenage or adult population, sort of having that telemedicine, you directly contact your doctor via text messaging or or some other modality, and then they give you feedback right away, and a lot of increase in patient satisfaction with that, and access to care. You're not waiting to put call the person on call and then get, right. you know, a call back, or you're not having to call nine one one less. You know, I mean, I've heard of really some good feedback on that. But in our population, I guess I can't say that I've I've experienced that yet. But I think there's such a need, and I could see how that would make a huge difference. You know, I mean, of course, you know, there might be the the, the CPR situation where you just need to call nine one one, but. But for a lot of the other things, if you could just have a visual, you could say, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? You might be able yeah. to save that family a trip to the ER and exposure right. to another infection and increase health care costs and, you know, all of those complications for them. Right. Right. Yeah. right. I, I, and simulating all that. So, so simulating some video telemedicine care would also be something that you could do and see if that worked yep. before you went off uh, doing it. Doing uh, it, yeah. Um, because if it worked, you know, if, if it worked in simulation, you would have confidence that you could count on it in, in real life. And maybe even, too, like refresher training with right. telesim. So that, because I always, I've been getting the feedback, like the parents, they want to come back for uh-huh. refreshers. And the resources for that are, you know, complicated as well. But if we could just do, do some refresher training with them remotely, I mean, I wonder what that could look like. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. So many ways you can go. <laughs> I love it. Lots of ideas. It's yeah. the, I think the future is right. You're you are the ten... future, Jenna. <laughs> you, you, you have 10,000 square feet of simulation space to fill and uh, lots of excited people here that we've yeah. been teaching this week. So I think your, your uh, uh, opportunity is just extraordinary.
Oh, thanks. Going to be busy. Well, thank you, Jen. <laughs> thank you. Really, it's Can't really wait fun to talking see your publication you. and all of your updates. And <laughs> yes. Keep us in the loop. I would love to know what you're up to with this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're working on it. Right. Thank nice. you for having me. DJ Simulationistas. What's up? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.